An estimated 30% of Americans, nearly 100 million people, suffer from allergies and asthma. And in many cases, increases in allergy triggers like ragwood, ragweed and, and poison ivy make seasonal allergies even worse. For this week's Please Explain, Dr. Clifford Bassett, the founder and medical director of Allergy and Asthma Care of New York, will fill us in on what an allergy is and isn't, identify key triggers from nuts to gluten to the nickel commonly used in cell phones and other both medical and non-medical alternatives to treatment. Dr. Bassett's book, The New Allergy Solution, Supercharged Resistance Slash Medication Stop Suffering, will be published next week by Avery, and I'm very pleased that it's brought him to our show today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. A very pertinent time as the allergy season is upon us, where, as I just mentioned a few minutes ago, we're in the allergy storm. The allergy started a few weeks ago, two to three weeks earlier this year because of warm, warmer trends. Snow came, a lot of the Northeast got hit hard, and now over the next couple of days and weeks, we're going to see a rebound, and that's what I call the double whammy. So people need to be prepared. I'm so glad you gave me the opportunity today to talk about something that's uh, near and dear to my heart. So spring, which is a, a wonderful season, also can be a problematic season. Uh, that's, we, go ahead. That's right. The key with this is really being prepared. And in my practice, we have a large variety of patients, but the female patients get it when it comes to prevention, health care. They want to do things in a proactive way. The male patients, for the most part, maybe not as much. Maybe they're not as good at terms of this prevention-type theme. However, we're all in this together. And the joke in the office is, how do you prevent allergies? Choose your parents wisely. We invite, and we'll get to that in a moment, we invite our listeners to join the conversation. Our number here is 212-433-9692. If you have questions about allergies or if you've tried everything to treat them, you can give us a call. You can write to us on our show page at WMYC.org or on Facebook or Twitter where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Aren't we warned every year that it's going to be the worst allergy season in decades? What determines whether it's going to be a really bad allergy season? Is it this a matter of um, climate change? Well, that is a great lead into my premise for the book and other ideas today. And that's talking about climate change boosting pollen production. And from our colleagues at Rutgers, we know they did a wonderful study that showed since the 90s, certain pollens that are very problematic for people with seasonal pollen allergies, such as trees, grasses, and so forth, have spiked. And they report there's an increase in oak pollen production by 86%, birch pollen, 45%, and it goes, list, goes on with grass and ragweed pollen. So there is a climate change effect, which we'll talk about, and how it pertains to people's eyes and noses. And there's also a greenhouse gas effect that tells certain plants to produce more pollen. Not only more pollen, but maybe three to four times more. So we're talking about physical differences in our environment and another reason that people may be suffering over the last couple years more than ever before. Do people who haven't been affected by these triggers throughout their lives suddenly find themselves affected? I do see a peak in new cases in middle and later adult years, and people are always fascinated. I've never had allergies. My parents don't, but recently I've been in the park or I've been around a cat and so forth, and I'm noticing I'm having itchiness. And itchiness, by the way, is one of the most common and prevalent and obvious symptoms to allergies. What are allergy triggers biologically speaking? Well, basically we're looking at certain allergens, and 
the story goes is, and it relates to something you may have heard of before called the hygiene hypothesis. And what that means is we have old friends, germs and microbes. In early years of life, what do parents do? They want to protect their children. They keep them away from the coughing kid. They keep them away from germs. There's an over-sanitation. And over-sanitizing, we think, may lead to an increased risk of allergy and related conditions. In other words, these things that are normally harmless, these germs and so forth, that we tolerate may be necessary in building a robust immune system that tends to go away and make us more vulnerable to conditions like allergies. And again, this hygiene hypothesis or the eat dirt hypothesis has been promulgated for many years and the data seems to indicate for the most part it makes sense and it seems to be what we're seeing and another explanation for the pollen explosion. So I should have wished that my mother had encouraged me to eat dirt. Although colds are caused by viruses, allergy symptoms are often similar. Is that just a coincidence? Well, I think, first of all, we have these harmless allergens, dust mite, cat dander, foods, and so forth, that if you don't have an allergic predisposition, we call that atopy, and you don't have the right exposure, it's not going to be a problem, and they will continue to be harmless. We're talking about the 50 million or more of individuals that suffer from indoor allergies, their pets, indoor allergens, dust mites, cockroach, and so forth, as well as seasonal allergens, among other allergens, that cause the potential for allergy suffering. And if we look at the immunology, and as an immunologist, I love to explain this to my patients how this all occurred, we can look at the IgE and the mast cell and the technical reasons why histamine gets released and the production of IgE antibodies that we can assess in the office. Now, as an allergist, one of the first things I love to do when I see a patient that I suspect has allergies is to do appropriate testing, whether it be blood or skin testing, which we can pinpoint and determine a tailored approach to their own allergic triggers. And that's the cornerstone of what we do is identify who has an allergy, what type, and create a calendar and a variety of things to understand what their needs are to provide a tailored approach. And what are some of those tests? would be an in-office allergy skin test, which is done over maybe 15 or 20 minutes or so. It's virtually painless, a skin prick test, and it will give us an indication of allergic sensitivity. So Has if somebody thinks she's, they're allergic in, to strawberries, you'd scratch a little right. bit of strawberry well, into no, the skin? Well, no, it's a little bit more sophisticated. We use pharmaceutical-grade allergy extracts, and they may have, for example, birch pollen, oak pollen, tree pollen, ragweed on them. And basically, we wait for an immune response, 15, 20 minutes or so, look at a little red bump, like a little tiny mosquito bite, and that gives us an indication whether an allergic sensitivity may exist or the Ig antibody is there. And then we can extrapolate in terms of that person's history and real-world experience, do they indeed have a clinical allergy that we need to modify and manage? Do human-generated pollutants uh, contribute to allergies? Well, it's a very interesting synergy. We know that by 2030, three out of five people will live in, live in cities. And urban air, pollution, urban air pollutants may attach to certain pollen grains, and they can increase the pollen allergy potential. And that synergistic effect tells us ground-level ozone, together with pollens in certain circumstances, may be a double-edged sword. In other words, the pollen level and the pollution comes together to create a more magnified effect. And that may be the reason we're seeing a spike in allergies in urban areas. And again, uh, in Europe, this data is showing the 3% rise in pollen counts in cities per year. 
more than rural areas. And so it's, it's a trend that we see uh, quite a bit in many studies now. Since the new budget that's just been released uh, is eliminating climate change and pollution-related policies, can we expect to see even m- more increases in certain allergies? Well, it also depends on what's on the allergic landscape. We know in the 50s we had something, a wonderful tree called the American elm, which caused a certain amount of allergy suffering. And unfortunately, due to Dutch elm disease, it died off. And basically, by the 60s and 70s, it was replanted with largely male plants. Now, the reason is female plants are often cut down as they produce messy seeds and may not have a benefit there. And what we found is that the female plants attract pollen, they clean the air, and they actually may prevent it from landing your eyes and nose. So up to 70% of the total allergy burden, particularly in urban areas, may be related to these allergenic male trees. And so they've changed the landscape. I refer to that as the medical battle of the sexes. My guest is Clifford W. Bassett. Uh, He's written a book called The New Allergy Solution, Fast, Long-Lasting Relief. Uh, This is WMIC, WMIC WMIC.org. I'm Leonard Lopate, and we're inviting your calls at 212-433-9692, or you can write to us on our show page at WMIC.org, or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. And a lot of people have already called in. All of our lines are filled, in fact. So rather than me ask the questions, let's see what's on our audience's mind. Anu from Nassau County, you're on the air. Hi, Leonard. Thanks for doing the show. Um, so the question for the doctor is, my husband and I came to this country from India 28 years ago, and we did not have any allergies at that point. We didn't have any reactions to the change in the geographical location. About seven, eight years ago, we both developed allergies, and it's environmental allergies, pollen, dust, and so on and so forth. We're not keeping our houses any dirtier than we did when we were teenagers. In fact, you know, we're keeping it cleaner. We have children now. Um, So I do not know how, when we moved here 28 years ago, we did not develop any symptoms then, but we're developing them now. And the second question I have is we're also finding that we're developing more sensitivities to certain kinds of foods, like, you know, um, gluten and those kinds of things, things that, you know, we didn't have issues with when we were younger. And... I wonder if there's something to be said about, you know, my cousins usually say that when we move to the United States, it takes us a few years, and then we suddenly become very, very sensitive to everything. And biologically, how does that happen? Well, I think your cousin is partially right about that, because when moving to a new area, for example, people from the East Coast years ago moved out to the Southwest to escape allergies and so forth, but they brought their plants and trees and shrubs with them, and now they have what we call pollen hotspots all over Nevada, southwest United States, and so. So it does take some time when you come to a new area. Now, again, in the beginning, we were making a little joke about choosing your parents wisely. There is a genetic basis to have allergy, both hay fever, seasonal allergy, pet allergy, asthma, eczema, and so forth. And it really depends. In my practice, the first thing we look at is an allergy family tree. Don't tell me just about you, but I want to see the broader family put it together in a pie chart and try and create a scenario that makes sense in terms of why did this occur to you. So I'm definitely uh, empathetic for what you're going through. And as an allergist, one of the things I love to do as an immunologist is come up with creative solutions to avoid exposure, modify the environment, and come up with medical and non-medical approaches to make life better for all of my millions of allergy sufferers. Aren't some of the things you write about counterintuitive? You see that overcleaning and even the use of, well, you mentioned hand sanitizers, 
can make allergies worse. But you, all, you cite a study from Kingston University which found that beds left unmade so that the sheets were exposed to the air left them drier, and that significantly reduced their dust mite content. So it's good to be a little messy? Well, sh- in terms of My mother dust mites, telling me to make my bed every day, uh, she was wrong? I think the jury is this. There's a perspective out there, and I've tried to illustrate that in my book, a way to live and to live healthier based upon what we know. And my book is up to date, at least as much as possible uh, at present, looking at ways we can understand a theory like that. Should we leave our beds unmade? May not be popular in many circles because the drying effect of the bedding and the sheets may be a factor in reducing your exposure to living dust mites. I think it's hard to take a one study out of context, but what we do is we modify the environment. We look at your environment. For example, we know from the NASA study that there's a whole bunch of plants that actually clean the air. That's right, they scrub the air. These are inexpensive plants, they're in the book, and we talk about those in terms of indoor air quality. And the EPA has said that you know 90% of the time we spend indoors, the indoor air may be more polluted with both allergens, and it's only relevant if you have uh, allergic sensitivities, as well as indoor pollutants that are on the rise. And we've changed our homes. We have different furnishings than we had 20, 30 years ago. So air quality and other things can affect people. And again, when you talk about your different triggers, you mentioned seasonal triggers and, and, and indoor triggers. And a variety of my patients, in fact, most of them have choice E on the multiple choice test, all of the above. And we really try and take a look at an individual their own sensitivities and how to navigate the waters to live with Mother Nature and still enjoy the great outdoors. Should we all have air purifiers? It depends. Air purifiers can be a wonderful uh, part, what I call adjunctive treatment, in addition to proper care or medication approaches. And air purifiers, particularly HEPA air purifiers, are very good at removing certain allergens from the air. And we know the 100 million households that have pets and cat and dog allergens are very buoyant, and they can be helpful in a situation where the pet's not going anywhere. The allergist may be going somewhere, the mother-in-law, but we know the pets, particularly cats, aren't going anywhere. We love our pets, and they have other benefits too, by the way. We're going to take a little break and come back with a lot of calls and address some of the other aspects of this, uh, our concerns about allergies, including what drugs we should take and whether we over-medicate sometime, uh, the surprising things that we can be allergic to as we continue this conversation with Dr. Clifford Bassett, who is the uh, Director of Allergy and Asthma Care uh, of New York and the author of a new book called The New Allergy Solution, Fast, Long-Lasting Relief. It uh, is from Avery, and it's going to be released next Monday, I gather? Yes, next week is the week, and we're looking forward to uh, sharing our information with sufferers everywhere. We'll be back right after this. And we are back with Dr. Clifford W. Bassett, who's uh, written a book called The New Allergy Solution, Fast, Long-Lasting Relief. It will be published by Avery uh, on uh, next week. Uh, And we have a lot of people calling in, Dr. Bassett. So let's take some of these calls. Uh, James, you're on the air. 
Yes. Hi. Uh, quick question. So I always struggle with understanding like what's a cold versus what is allergies. And I've been struggling with a cold for a few weeks now and have been hearing everyone talking about allergies over the last couple of days. Any clear indications just to know what I should be treating? Absolutely. The great question. Cold versus allergy versus sinus infection. Well, first of all, allergies I mentioned earlier, itchiness, that is a cardinal symptom of allergy and it's frequently one of the main symptoms that drive people crazy. Onset, a cold comes on suddenly, lasts seven to 10 days, and unless you develop a sinus infection, it's pretty much moved on. Cold may be associated with body aches, fever, lack of appetite. My allergy patients, they eat just as well as before. And again, the nasal quality. Is the nasal discharge clear? We call that rhinorrhea, and that's an indication of likely allergies versus a colored nasal discharge associated with cough and some other things. Don't people sometimes take antihistamines when they get a cold? But histamines are what cause allergies, aren't they? Antihistamines don't really treat the cold per se, but there are some older antihistamines that have a drying effect, and people like that feeling of being dried up, and so they may benefit from cold over-the-counter medications and so forth in that regard. Are antihistamines good for treating most allergies? Antihistamines are very easy to take. They're They're over-the-counter now, and they're looking, you look for the ones that are non-sedating or low-sedating once a day. They're great to be combined along with a nasal corticosteroid spray, which is one of the most effective sprays we have. And the symptom is very important, nasal congestion or stuffiness. And a variety of people who suffer from allergies have nasal congestion, and it's a very difficult symptom and can affect their sleep quality at night and their attentiveness and alertness the following day. So a nasal corticosteroid working together with or without an oral antihistamine is a recipe for success in the -the over-the-counter landscape, which is increasing, as you know. But you also write about over-medicating, and you give an example of a patient named Kenny who felt like he constantly had a cold. Why did you tell him to stop using his allergy nasal spray? Well, Kenny was using an over-the-counter nasal decongestant spray. And although it provides good initial relief over a couple days, many people don't read the label, they don't read the box, they throw it away. And what it says is after three to five days, you may get yourself into trouble and you may develop something called rebound congestion, which can be worse than the symptoms it was intended for. So it really depends on what you're putting into your eyes and putting into your nose. And when you have a question, speak with your healthcare provider, especially if you're having any adverse effects of using some of these over-the-counters. Over-the-counters are available, but they're not always right for you or the right medication or relief measure for you. Let's take a call from Susie from Irvington, New York. Hi, Susie, you're on the air. Hi, hi. Um, so I run, I co-run a food allergy support group in the New York area called foodallergyny.com. And I actually just wanted to talk about the growing private practice OIT movement, which is a desensitization treatment for food allergies. Uh, my sons have been doing it with Dr. Selter in Suffern, New York, and one of them just passed his 24 peanut challenge, and the other one is now eating an egg a day, and they were okay, formerly well, not Susie, able to have any. Susie, yeah. you're opening up all sorts of different areas of discussion here, peanut allergies, but also uh, fast food. You say, uh, doctor, that uh, that fast foods are causing kids to develop allergies? No? What I'm saying is there's a very interesting study that was published in Thorax that looked at, in the UK, exposure to fast foods more than three days a week, processed foods, and a association with an increased risk of allergy 
seasonal indoor allergy, eczema, and so forth. And it was a very interesting observation. And we have many theories why we're seeing so many individuals have food allergies. The NIH data shows in the last 10 or 20 years has been doubling, in fact, of peanut allergy. And it's a very good message that you're working in the food allergy community because we're really dedicated to understanding and how we could affect change. Moving over to something you referred to as oral immunotherapy, it's at the horizon and it's coming to an allergist and a uh, caregiver near you very soon. And we're looking at ways to make your immune system more tolerant to allergies. And certainly when adults experience food allergies in the 20s, 30s, and so forth, it may be a little different in terms of how they got there than a child or an adolescent. And so this thing about immune tolerance is a very powerful concept, and it may dictate whether we'll be very successful with these over-the-counter remedies, uh, I'm sorry, oral immunotherapy, which is right now in clinical trials, uh, for the most part in major institutions where they spend a lot of time and effort doing high-quality uh, studies such as Mount Sinai, Duke, National Jewish, and so forth. And again, Dr. Selter, I know him very well. He was my chief resident. He's a fine allergist, and he has some strategies that may be coming to an allergist or an office near you. But this is a, a new emerging area, this immunotherapy, oral immunotherapy, and get information and seek out good advice that it may be pertinent to your family and your own uh, children or child. We mentioned earlier that sometimes people develop allergies as they get older, but don't we also sometimes lose allergies uh, that we had when we were young? You Do we grow out of you allergies? You set me up for my cliche line. One of the very few benefits of aging is in many individuals as the immune system matures is we tend to have less allergic expression. And so many individuals come into my office later in life and they're saying, I thought I'm supposed to be less allergic. I said, well, the rules don't apply to you fairly, and that's why you know, we're successful in treating individuals of all ages. Hasn't uh, been suggested that breastfeeding actually uh, helps us in fighting Allergies? Well, breastfeeding has a wonderful, wonderful history of positive outcomes. And we know the World Health Organization is very enamored and reinforced six months of breastfeeding and all the positive benefits. Uh, and certainly it's something you would discuss with your uh, pediatrician, OBGYN physician, but certainly breastfeeding is a wonderful uh, part of our, our lifestyle and life. And it's very important to have that in the, in the realm of you know, really being embracing that. And certainly that's not something we'll debate. It's a positive thing. There's only positive attributes from breastfeeding. And again, it's very important because now we're talking about prevention of allergy and how can we prevent allergy. And that probably is a subject of another show. We probably won't get to that today, but I do want to take as many of the calls as we can. Well, let's go to Derek from Montclair, New Jersey. Hi, Derek. Guys, I want to say thank you. I'm a big fan of the show, and uh, this is a great topic that doesn't get a lot of coverage, so I think it's fantastic you guys are covering this today. My question is about allergies and headaches. I uh, get really bad headaches strictly on the right side of my face, right above my eye. I feel my whole nasal uh, cavity uh, throbbing and swelling when I get these headaches. They come for a certain period. Um, I'm wondering... Do these headaches pop up when allergy season begins? Because right now, I'm not really getting them. But, uh, but for two weeks ago, you said the allergy season started uh, early. Two weeks ago, I was getting them every night. And these are debilitating. They pop, come on quick. They last for about an hour to an hour and a half. Um, and then they leave. Um, and yeah. then my follow-up question to that real quick was allergy pills. Do you get dependent on them? 
uh, do they start losing their effect if you're taking a daily allergy pill? I'll answer both questions briefly. Headaches are tricky things. They're multifactorial. Tension, muscular tension in the neck, migraines, sinus. There's a whole variety of headaches which we will never be able to diagnose you in an accurate way. But certainly in my approach as a practicing allergist, I'm the primary care physician for people with allergies, and we see people every day with headaches. The key is to take a look at the big picture, and when it's appropriate, see a specialist to have more evaluation so we can actually answer the question and come up with real-world solutions for you. In addition, as I did mention before, about 20% of allergies are seasonal, 40% may be year round and so forth. And so there are different types of trends. Right now we're at the, heart of the beginning of the allergy season here in the spring in, in New York City, as well as many places throughout the country when there's three or four seasons. Isn't there a problem that sometimes people are allergic to aspirin or ibuprofen? And, and when they have headaches, that, that just exacerbates the situation. As a drug allergy expert, I can tell you I'm always surprised when I find that when people buy over-the-counter medications such as aspirin, ibuprofen, and other non-steroidal analgesic medications, there's a lot of warnings and great information on the box. The box goes into the garbage. They don't realize that aspirin and non-steroidal medications, when I see in my allergy practice, people may come in for hives, swelling of the skin called angioedema, and it's clearly on the label there when you look at it. So people who have reactions to aspirin and these NSAID-type medications need to be properly evaluated because these reactions can go from mild to severe very quickly. And how would you know that that was the result of having taken a a painkiller? Well, as being a practice that has a variety of modalities we could utilize in our office setting, we do do evaluation, drug challenges, and we have certain diagnostic capabilities of helping to understand and rule in, rule out the possibility of a drug reaction and so forth. Now, we, uh, we mentioned earlier that smartphones um, have nickel in them. I imagine other computers do as well. And a listener wants to know, how do you treat an allergy to nickel? Well, first of all, the best test we have, if it's unclear, because metal allergies are on the rise, and we think that's in uh, men and women because of early piercing in both sexes. Very popular now. So what, what I'm seeing in my practice is three days a week, I see individuals with facial rash, cosmetic rash. And by the way, allergies can affect appearance. And we know there's a study that showed 80% of individual adults felt that allergies impacted their love and sex life. And so that's something I think your audiences are definitely listening to. But as far as nickel allergy and metal allergy, we will do a test in the office, a nickel test kit, and we'll find out if you do have a nickel allergy from our patch test series, which take a couple days to figure it out, whether it's a cosmetic nickel allergy or not at all, that we can test your phone and your devices and we find out, indeed, you have a phone, you have a facial rash, and lo and behold, it's from the nickel in the phone. So you can't have a cell phone? I call their cell phone manufacturer, and very frequently, they get a new phone. I always say, can the allergists get a new phone? And they say, no. Along these lines, Joanne from Westchester asks on our show page, is eczema an allergic reaction? She says her daughter, who's age 22, has fewer problems with allergies in New York City than when she comes home from the leafy suburbs, but we cannot see a pattern to her eczema. Certainly eczema is something we want to talk in the allergy community for our patients, avoiding triggers. So there may be irritating fabrics. Uh, We want to do things like not take hot showers, less rubbing and friction, extreme temperatures while bathing, and emollients. We know even before uh, 
first couple years of life, using emollients and moisturizers may be very important in helping the barrier defect that occurs in eczema. And eczema certainly is an overplay with allergic disease. And many individuals will have what we call the allergic march. In life, they start out with eczema. It leads to hay fever and asthma and food allergies. And these individuals clearly have allergic genes. And that's why we're talking about people that are really affected on multiple levels. And another reason my book, I felt, was overdue. My patients would say to me, my strategies as an allergy sleuth help them. However, we want some information that we could rely on. And I think that's my approach is to find simple and solutions and also simple explanations to things that may be quite complex. A lot of people have been writing in about gluten. Uh, now, it's been argued that uh, perhaps we're overreacting to gluten, but there are people who can be seriously, be made seriously ill. That's gluten. right. We're talking about something that affects 1% of population of Ireland, Britain, and Scotland, and so forth, but also here as well, celiac disease. Celiac disease is an autoimmune condition and it's an extreme version of a gluten intolerance. And largely, we're talking about people with intestinal problems. Is this similar Gas. to peanut allergies? No, an intolerance is generally doesn't involve an immune mechanism. With peanut allergy, we're talking about an allergic condition that potentially has life-threatening consequences. But I have a lot of information about intolerance versus allergy versus sensitivity on our website, which is allergyreliefnyc.com. And we certainly would invite people to read Allergic Living Magazine, which is a fabulous resource written by experts from all over the country and educating people about all of the new trends in allergy awareness and management. And we will post that website on our show page at wmic.org slash lopate. So if you weren't able to write it down... <laughs> As Dr. Bassett said it, you'll be able to locate it. Dr. Bassett, we have pretty much run out of time, unfortunately. There were so many other things I wanted to get to. Any parting words for 10 seconds? I truly believe, as an allergist and immunologist with 20-plus years' experience, there's always a solution. And we, you can find some of those solutions or most of those solutions in Dr. Bassett's book called The New Allergy Solution. Fast, long-lasting relief. It will be released by Avery next week. And uh, it's been a real pleasure having you on today's Please Explain. I think we have to do this again. Looking forward to coming back.